Good morning. Today's first reading is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, 15 to 17, and 20 to 24. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your souls. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when you speak against you, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to, to him who judges justly. He himself, bore, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from John chapter 15, verse 18, and chapter 16, verse 4, or through chapter 16, verse 4. Jesus said, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think they are offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you, told them to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
and bow our heads and begin with a word of prayer. Father, we pray for strength to bear the cost of following your son, Jesus Christ, who has brought the new creation into our world. Give peace in our time and ever more mightily defend us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Since Easter, we've been going through Jesus' farewell speech to his disciples. And at the time, the disciples didn't know that what they were hearing were Jesus' last words before he would be led away as he is betrayed. Now, troubled as they were, Jesus took the time to comfort his friends. And so far, Jesus' words have been comforting and assuring to them. But then in our gospel reading that Natalie had just read for us, Jesus takes on a different tone. His words take a severe turn, no longer words of comfort and assurance, but the words of warning, words of caution about a time when his disciples would face incredible opposition. And not only for them, but for those who would follow after them. Those words were not sort of frighten or discourage his already troubled disciples. No, Jesus shows them full concern. Concern for them, not just to comfort and assure them because they're troubled, but by warning them, to equip them, to prepare them for a future time that was going to be as costly to them as it was going to be for Jesus himself. Jesus had earlier alluded to this moment of his imminent departure would, would be because he would be betrayed by a close friend. But there was more to the betrayal than just an instance of disloyalty or personal greed. See, for Judas Iscariot, it really wasn't personal. For Judas, it wasn't personal at all because behind and over Judas was this larger opposition, a planned out conspiracy against Jesus. It was actually a coming together of establishments who wielded their power to premeditate an act of violence. But even further behind the scenes, over and above the conspirators were the forces of spiritual darkness, inciting and turning the gears of humanity, of government, of empire, of religion to unleash the devil's will on earth as it is in hell. Now, John, the evangelist, since the start of his gospel, had been ramping up to this very moment. It was already in his opening chapter, and John had set up his gospel to track this plot line of the light of God coming into the world, the darkness of the world, and the darkness being unable to comprehend or overcome the light. Now, it's implied that the darkness had always attempted to overcome the light, The light of the world had come to his own, but his own did not receive him. They rejected him and sought to snuff out the light of God. This is the plot line of satanic opposition. It has ever been lurking behind the trail of God's presence in the world. In the beginning, God sowed his word into the void, and everything good came to be. But then into the garden of creation came the serpent. He sowed his own word. His word of lies, word of cunning. From then on, the story of our cosmos became about the struggle between the seed of God's word and the seed of Satan's lies. So as creation began to unravel when humanity fell, God sowed another seed of promise. He gave it to Adam and Eve. 
promising, swearing by his name that through the seed of a woman would come the salvation of the cosmos. But as what the devil does in his unholy duplication, he sowed another seed, a seed of violence. He incited brother against brother, germinating the weed of bloodshed. The weed grew and came to seed the world in the invention of the machinery of conquest. The world was soon engulfed in warfare and human factions. God then intervenes and resets the world in judgment with a cleansing flood. He rescues Noah's family and God's seed of promise would persist in Noah's line. But then Satan's seed lay dormant in the heart, germinating again in the construction of Babel. God again intervenes and scatters humanity into the various tribes and tongues. Then there again the seed of Satan germinates into empires and kingdoms, growing malignant throughout all the world, subjugating all of creation. There is Egypt, Philistia, Amalek, Assyria, Aram, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, with the tiny seedling of God's people of the promise caught in the throes of worldly savagery. Then when the appointed time came, God's seed of promise germinated in a virgin's womb. The Son of God made man in Jesus. And as ever close behind was Satan's seed budding in Herod the Great's heart, conspiring with Jerusalem to destroy the promised seed, the Messiah, unleashing violence against the families of Bethlehem, every child under two as collateral, the first martyrs for Christ who bore witness to the injustice they suffered. Then here in our gospel reading, lurking ever close behind again, as Jesus bid farewell to his disciples, Satan's seed rooting every, ever deeper in the hearts of Judas, Annas and Caiaphas, Herod Antipas and Pontius Pilate, in their conspiracy against God and against his anointed one. This plot line of satanic opposition runs far back since the beginning is always playing out in the history of our world. Now this was once hidden mystery, now revealed from heaven by Jesus to his disciples, now revealed even to us today. And this is it, that the new creation has come. It has appeared, God's new world has come into ours, but the world and the ruler of the world would not ever receive it. So with the advent of God's kingdom on earth, there could never be a peaceful transition of power. We now will live and exist during this time of transition when two worlds are colliding, the world of God and the world of sin, the two are in constant travail. But while the war has already been won by Jesus, battle lines are yet waged, trenches remain unfilled, weapons continue to clash and fire, conflicts erupt whenever the light exposes the shadows. We live and exist during this time of transition when two worlds are still colliding. Now, as much as there are sociological and political reasons why the church today faces opposition, whether by authoritarian oppression today faced by the global church or by cultural marginalization that we're experiencing today in the Western Christendom, these reasons are not the focus of Jesus' teachings here. According to our gospel reading, there are theological reasons. There are theological reasons why the church will always face opposition. And Jesus gives us three 
theological reasons. First, it's because of our spiritual origin. Second, it's because of the name of Jesus. And third, it's because we are continuing Jesus' mission. First, it's our spiritual origin, then Jesus' name, and our continuing Jesus' mission. So please turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them handy, in chapter 15 of John. So first, our spiritual origin in verse 18. The world hates you. Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Now, before we get into it, John uses the word world throughout his gospel with interchangeable meanings. It depends on the context. World could mean literally everything, or it could mean in this negative sense the moral corruption of the world that stand opposed to God. So in our reading when Jesus said Christians are not of the world, he's not saying that Christians should disengage or separate from everyone and everything. Rather, Christians are not to partake and participate in the morally corrupt aspects of the world that stand opposed to God, even though we're still in the midst of them, one way or another unwillingly or complicitly. So then what did Jesus mean by Christians being not of the world? Many of us were born in Canada. But for us who are immigrants or are from immigrant families, we know what it means to desire, want, and obtain citizenship. Now my family and I moved to Toronto from Manila in 2001. And after a few years, we became eligible to apply for citizenship. Now, I remember studying for the exam. Canada's history, its founding, its laws, its civic structure. I learned what it meant to be a Canadian citizen. About my entitlements, my rights and privileges, my duties and my responsibilities as a citizen. My family and I passed the exam. And then on July 2005... I stood with my family before a judge then took an oath of citizenship and I quote, swearing to be faithful and bear true allegiance to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, her heirs and successors, to faithfully observe the laws of Canada and to fulfill my duties as a citizen. At that moment, I willfully took on the identity of a Canadian, taking for myself its history, its laws, being legally adopted by a nation that was not my natural origin, and so becoming a steward of its present state and becoming an heir of all of its future peace. Now, the Christian has taken a similar oath of citizenship in the kingdom of heaven by the sacrament of baptism and confirmation, swearing to be faithful and bear true allegiance to the triune God, to the Father, Son, and Heir, King Jesus Christ, to faithfully observe the laws of his new creation to fulfill their duties as Christians. Now, doing so, the Christian has taken the identity of being a new creation, literally a new creature, taking for themselves the redemptive history of the Bible, the laws of God, the character of Jesus, the Holy Spirit in their bodies, being adopted by heaven as not their original nature, becoming a steward of God's kingdom on earth and becoming an heir of it in future eternity. If you're Christian, 
Your spiritual origin is from heaven, and your citizenship belongs to heaven. That's what Jesus meant by saying, you're not of the world. Now, our obtaining citizenship in heaven is not because we've studied and passed the exam. It's not just because we decided to apply for citizenship in heaven. Jesus qualified it. I chose you out of the world. I chose you. Our citizenship is not our choice. It's a gift, a grace from heaven based on Jesus' choosing, his selecting and picking us from out of the world. Now that language of choosing us out of the world, that's a language of rescue. It's a language of redemption. His plucking people out from the moral corruption of the world. His removing people out of the slavery of sin. His rescuing people from the brutal and oppressive regime of Satan. His cutting off and cutting out Satan's seed in the hearts of people. Becoming citizens of heaven, we have been given entitlements, rights and privileges, and duties and responsibilities that align with heaven. This means we can no longer stand to represent the corruption of the world. We can no longer contribute to the world's economy of sin. We can no longer participate in the industries and enterprises of greed and injustice. Because whenever we participate and pay tribute or taxes, as it were, to the world, spiritually speaking, the world will love us for it. That's what Jesus said. But since we're citizens of another world who pay tribute to the world, that God is slowly bringing into this world, we stand against the corruption of this world, and the world will hate us for it. So there is conflict. There's opposition. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, secondly, opposition comes in Jesus' name. In verse 21, But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they don't know him who sent me. Now, Christians will face opposition because we're associated with Jesus. But specifically, his title, Christ. Christ means anointed. Now, that title comes from the ancient Jewish practice of, uh, of anointing someone's head with oil to, as a ceremonial act of commissioning them to a particular role. Like when the prophet Samuel poured oil on King Saul's head so that he would be the first monarch of Israel. Now, in the same way, God anointed or christened his son. He poured on his head in baptism the Holy Spirit. So he was commissioned as the role of Messiah into this world. Now, among the many roles of the, the Messiah, one of them is to bring judgment. It's to bring judgment into the world. Now, judgment is one of those expansive words again, like world. It depends on the context. Jesus explains in verse 24 what he meant by judgment. He's coming in as judge and Messiah into the world. What did he mean by that? In verse 24. If I hadn't done among the world the works that no one else did, the world would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. What's Jesus saying here? As the Messiah, as the Christ, Jesus brought judgment into the world by exposing the darkness, by exposing the evil in the world. Again, by judgment, Jesus didn't mean he's executing final sentence on evil. That will come in the end. 
But he's saying he's exposing in the contemporary moment in time the darkness of the world as judgment for what it is, uncovering it for everyone to see it, to notice it, to be freaked out about it, to bring the darkness out of into the light. Now Jesus alluded to this judgment in chapter 3 when he was speaking with Nicodemus at night. In chapter 3, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. But people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hate the light, does not come to the light, lest their works should be exposed. Now how did he expose the darkness? One way, Jesus dealt with it directly. He healed diseases, cast out demons, raised the dead, called the evil for what it is. But Jesus exposed a deeper darkness in people and institutions. For example, Jesus deliberately healed during a Sabbath day, so exposing the hypocrisy of religious institution. He exposed that the priests and religious experts, experts did not actually care for people. They rather cared more for their rules and laws that propped up their power and authority. But when the public saw this, the darkness was confronted. The religious leaders were outed. They were humiliated. But rather than repent, they instead planned to destroy Jesus. That's why the darkness hates the light. Darkness hates exposure. Shady business operates behind fronts. Human trafficking go underground. The black market sneaks in through the dark web. Scandals get covered up immediately and every record is burned and destroyed and untraced. Darkness loves the shadow. It hates the light. Darkness will always oppose everything about the light. Now how is the church, how are Christians implicated in all of this? It's because the church... Christians bear the name of Jesus. In other words, Christians bear the anointing of Christ, as, Christ, as it were. It's literally in the word Christian. Now, it's, it doesn't mean that we're messiahs. It just means that we've been entrusted one thing with the same judgment of the world. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, Don't you know that the Lord's people will judge the world? If you're to judge the world, aren't you competent to judge trivial cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? And that doesn't mean we're judged during executioner. It means Christians should be the ones to expose darkness and shed the light of Christ to sift through the whole world for what's good and right in order to promote it and prop it up. And then sift through the whole world for what's wrong and evil about it and to snuff it out, to renew it, to correct it. So that means, first and foremost, the church should be the first to judge herself. The church should be the first to judge herself, to expose the evil in her members, to set her own house in order. Simon Peter, later on as a bishop, he wrote this, judgment begins in the household of God. And we know, we know too well, for too long, how we've been terrible at it. We continue to nitpick at the specks of other people's eyes while two-by-fours remain screwed up in our eyelids. Now, this is one sociological reason why the church is opposed rightly by the world, because we've shown ourselves to be criminals, to be hypocrites, to be cowards and self-righteous. 
It's in our history. This past week, we've, we've noticed that. We've been judged, we've been exposed. But whenever the church enacts true and right judgment, and she has, whenever the church repents and reform, reforms, and she has, she exposes the darkness within her own members, she exposes the darkness in the world, so the light of Christ may flood into the alleyways, the basements, the closets, the digital denizens of the internet, every corner and crevice of every soul, institution, and corporation. The work is difficult. We must persist. We must face our own darkness. This work is hard because we too shall face opposition among our own ranks, and we shall face opposition by the world who always seeks to cover up the darkness. We bear the name of Jesus. So we must judge rightly. Now finally, opposition comes because we continue Jesus' mission. In verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Now that verse seems to come out of nowhere. Why is Jesus bringing up the Holy Spirit while talking about worldly opposition? Now, Jesus is saying here that once he departs, the church will carry on his mission into the world. When she becomes anointed, when she becomes christened by the Holy Spirit. Now, one sign of that spiritual anointing is that what we've already talked about, judgment, bearing the name of Christ, exposing the darkness in herself and in the world. That's one thing. But the other sign of this spiritual anointing is that the church bears witness to the world who Jesus Christ is. Because, so what that the darkness, the shadows have been exposed, all right? So what? It's been revealed. It's been uncovered. It needs to be pushed out, right? It needs to be pulled away. It needs to be filled out and filled in by the light of Jesus Christ, by the light and truth and revelation of the gospel. Because without the light, darkness is simply replaced by darkness. We can see the darkness, it's just there. It needs to be done something about that. Nature does not like vacuums. The world always fills in the gaps. You remove something, something else will replace it. In one of the Gospels, Jesus said that when an evil spirit leaves someone, someone's body, it'll roam about in the desert for a time. And then it figures out, oh, I can go back to to my own house and I'll bring with me seven other deadlier spirits with me. Jesus, that was the parable that Jesus taught. He described this evil generation of his day who rejected him as as Messiah. And that's the same parable that applies even today. Because no matter how much injustice, no matter how much evil, no matter how much corruption we expose in the world, that the world exposes about the church, no matter how many criminals or murderers or bigots or institution we hold to account, Without the light and truth and revelation of Jesus Christ, our people and institutions remain in sin. They remain in the darkness. They remain in the shadows. When the church exercises right judgment to expose the darkness of the world, we should be at the same time bear witness, bring positive light, shed light into the truth of who Jesus is, of what the gospel is, to renew and reform the incredible difficulty 
that while the wider world is fine and dandy to nod and smile at basic Christian ethics, you know, love your neighbor, feed the hungry, welcome the stranger, they will balk, they will grimace, they will gnash their teeth, they will imprison and slaughter Christians whenever we bear witness to the lordship and divinity of Jesus Christ. Whenever we proclaim kingdom politics that come in this country, that come in that business, that come in that corporation, that come in our history, in this household, in this life, in your life, whenever we say Caesar is not Lord, whenever we call all people to lay aside idols of culture, of government, of money, sex, fame, and religion, whenever we implore people to be reconciled to God, leave aside your idols, whenever we go and make other disciples to baptize them and teach them to obey everything that Jesus taught us. That's when the world will rise up to oppose us. That's the cost of bearing witness, of becoming martyrs for the sake of bearing witness to Jesus Christ. We continue by the Holy Spirit, the mission of Jesus Christ into the darkness of this world. Two worlds are still colliding. We're caught in the middle. New creation has come. The light of the world has dawned. The world will not receive it. But the darkness can never overcome it. As we face opposition in this world, even opposition among our own ranks as Christians, remember that your citizenship is in heaven. You're not of this world. We bear the name of Jesus Christ in order to judge the world rightly, to judge ourselves rightly, not hypocritically. And we're christened and anointed by the Holy Spirit to carry on the mission of the gospel into this world. In Jesus' name, amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.